Amen. We are truly, truly blessed. Thank you again for uh, coming this morning and worshiping uh, with us. We're going to continue this morning through our series uh, called Journey Through uh, the Bible. But before we begin, let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ. And I pray now, Lord, as we open your word, that, um, that we might hear your voice, that we might behold your glory, that your presence might be manifested here, and that we might be changed, Lord, changed into the people, Lord, that you desire us to be. Be present with us now, Lord, and mold and shape us into your image. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. This morning we're going to be talking about um, we're going to be talking about Sinai. If you remember, after God freed the people of Israel through the Exodus and the Passover, and they passed through the Red Sea. Uh, they went through the wilderness to the mountain of Sinai, the same mountain where God told Moses before he even sent him back to Egypt. God told Moses, this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. You will bring uh, Israel up out of Egypt and worship me on this mountain. And what we're going to see this morning uh, is uh, the, the point of uh, the Exodus and the Passover and the redemption of Israel is that they were saved to serve. In fact, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, on one of the occasions when uh, God sent Moses uh, to Pharaoh, God told Moses to tell this to Pharaoh. He's, he was to tell Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And so we're going to read this morning from uh, Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to be reading, reading a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture, so you can remain seated. Uh, but, but please follow along with me, uh, beginning in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. It says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all, the, all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people gathered together and said... 
all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Now jump down to verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and the thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Now look at chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then finally, God continues and he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then in verse 18, he says this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The word of God. So, this is the account of Mount Sinai. It is incredible. It's fearful. It's terrifying in many ways, as you can tell. But we're going to learn three things this morning about the account at Sinai. Number one, we serve God because of who he is and what he has done. Number two, we serve God with exclusive loyalty. And number three, we serve God to find rest in his presence. Again, number one, we serve God because of who he is and what he has done. So think about it. He, God, he took Israel and he redeemed them out of Egypt. For what purpose? In order to serve him, right? He gathered them together at Mount Sinai. For what purpose? What happened at Sinai? He gave them the law, right? Here, specifically in Exodus 20, God gives them the, what we call the Ten Commandments. And what we see here is that we serve God. The people of God serve God because of who he is and what he has done. And what do we see from this passage? Well, the first thing about who God is is this, is that God is holy. God is holy. I, I, Try to imagine this. You're at, you have just seen God afflict an entire nation with plagues so severe 
that, that the whole Pharaoh lets millions of people leave his land. You've just seen God split the Red Sea and millions of people walk through as on dry land. And now you're standing in front of this mountain and God says, I'm going to come down on this mountain. And if you even touch this mountain, you're going to die. What does that mean? It means God is a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a saving God. And he's also a holy God. He's a holy God. They had to consecrate themselves. They could not just approach God however they wanted, but because he had, but because he had saved them, they had to approach him in a certain way, a way appropriate uh, to, to the nature of who God is. He is holy. I mean, can you imagine standing at the mountain and, and it, it's covered with smoke and you can, you can see burning fire and the whole earth is quaking and Moses speaks and God answers him in thunder? I mean, my goodness, what would you do? It's terrifying. God is showing them that he is holy. And because he is holy, what then is his people supposed to be? Holy. In Habakkuk 1.13 it says that God has too pure of eyes to see evil and cannot even look at wrong. For them to come to God uh, unclean, unconsecrated, unprepared would mean their death. Right? They're standing in the presence of the perfect, holy, and, and righteous God. And this seems severe to some people, but it's not really. Think about it. God, God is perfectly holy, and he's perfectly just, and to, and to accept Anything less than his perfect holiness would be for him to deny himself. It would for, for be to him, as it were, to sweep evil and sin and unrighteousness under the rug. And that's not just. That's not right. And so God is holy, and his holiness demands that his redeemed people be holy as he is holy, just as Jesus taught us. So we, work, we serve God because of who he is. He's holy. And we also serve God because of what he has done. In, uh, in Exodus chapter 19 there, uh, verse 4, again it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wing and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. You see, they were to, they were to serve God because he had saved them, because he had delivered them out of Egypt, because he had, he said, bore them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. Now, I want you to think about that statement there because it's profound. What was the point of Israel's salvation? What was the goal? What was God trying to give them? God, their salvation was for God to bring them to himself. The goal of salvation is to get us where? To heaven? No, not just to heaven. To God, right? That's the goal of salvation. The glory of salvation, the point of our redemption is that we get God. We get God. There's no one like him. There's nothing like him. We get him. And we see also that... The point of salvation is that God told Israel that they would be what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what it says. They would be a kingdom of priests, he says, and a holy a nation. That's verse 6 there in Exodus 19. Now, 
What's important for us to see here is remember, we've been talking about the journey through the Bible. There's an unfolding story that's taking place. God is taking the mess that we made out of the world and he is bringing it back to the way that it was meant to be. And in the Old Testament, he's, he's setting up the full and final salvation through the nation of Israel. It's, Israel was supposed to be what? A kingdom of priests. He says, well, remember what we talked about? Uh, Adam, when he lived, when he was in the garden, we said, we said that he was what? He was, he was a priest because the, the words used for his work to care of the garden is the same words that's used for the duties of the priests in Leviticus and in, in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Okay, so Adam was intended to be a priest, not just a priest, but also a king. What did God tell Adam to do? To have dominion over the earth, right? And so, but now God comes to Israel and tells them what? You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be what humanity was supposed to be. You're going to be what I designed mankind to be all along. You're going to be it. In the nation of Israel, in the promised land, you're going to be it to show to all the world what humanity was supposed to be because the ultimate plan is through Jesus Christ. He's going to do that, not just for Israel, but for the whole world, right? And that's why in the book of Peter, when 1 Peter, when Peter is writing to the church, what does he call the church? Not just Israel, but the church. What does he call them? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. That's us. We are the fulfillment. We are God remaking us into who we were meant to be. And we also see here that, um, uh, especially uh, in Exodus 20 here, God gives us the, the Ten Commandments. Okay, Exodus 20, famous passage, the Ten Commandments. And sometimes we miss, I think, the most important part, one of the most important parts, is, is not the Ten Commandments themselves, but how does he preface the Ten Commandments? Exodus 20, verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he says, You shall have no other gods before me. So, so don't miss it. The order is important. God saves them from Egypt. And then says, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, he saves them, and then he tells them how to live as a saved people. This is so important. Why? Because so many people get it backwards. So many people, I've heard it recently. Yeah, I know my life isn't right, but, but, um, but. You know, I'll come to, you know, I know I need to get my act together. And when I'm ready, you know, when when I get my act together, I'm going to come to God. That's not how it works. You don't get your act together to come to God. You can't get your act together. (laughs) You can't. God God didn't look at the people of Israel and say, oh, look how great, great the people of Israel are. I'm going to call them out of Egypt. No, he didn't. They were a mess. You know they're a mess because even after they saved them, look at all they did. They did nothing but complain the whole 40 years in the wilderness. But God saved them. Anyways, he saved them in their mess. And, oh, and, then, and then he calls them and then he tells them, now this is how you live as the same saved and redeemed people. So 
So my plea today is that if, there's, if, there's, if you're here and you're wondering, how do I come to God? How can I come to God? I got to clean myself up. No, you, God accepts you just as you are. He just loves you too much to leave you there. So you come to God now and say, God, I need you. Help me, change me, forgive me of my sin through Jesus Christ. And he will, and he will come into your life, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. And then he will change you, change your heart so that you want to love him, want to serve him with your life, and your life will change. But we don't obey to earn God's favor. God has saved us, and now that we're in God's favor through Jesus Christ, we obey. It's a totally different way of looking at your relationship with Christ. We don't serve God in order to be saved. We serve God because we have been saved. We are saved not by our works, but we are saved so that we can work for God. So the first thing is that we see that we serve God because of who he is and because of what he has done. The next thing that we're going to see is that we serve God with exclusive Loyalty. Turn over uh, to chapter 32 of Exodus. Chapter 32. Here we read the account of the golden calf. So remember, uh, to give you the timeline, God comes down on the mountain and he gives them the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments... It, or, or the, the, first, the first couple of commandments are, you shall have no other gods before me. And then it says, you shall not make any graven image or any, or any likeness of me. Right? And then, and so God gives the Ten Commandments, and then they say, rightly, they say, Moses, we can't bear to stand here before God. You go up for us, and you speak to God, and we will listen to you. So Moses goes back up to the mountain, and then God now is speaking to Moses. And then, so remember, he just, he'd just given them the Ten Commandments. And this is what happened, Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? 
with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as of the stars of the heavens and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So think about what's happening. God is tempting to say, what's wrong with them, right? What's, what's wrong with them? Somebody just want to shake them. But we know we do the same thing. But they had just seen God, again, deliver them from Egypt, part the Red Sea. They seen him just come in, in fire and smoke and cloud and lightning and thunder and earthquake. And then Moses takes a little bit too long on the mountain. And they make a golden calf and begin to bow down to it. So it seems absurd to us. But that's what happened. And, you know, God commanded that no images be made of him. And at least one of the reasons for that is that what God is saying is that he is not created. That there is nothing like him. That there is nothing on this earth that can describe, even begin to describe or encapsulate or picture the almighty invisible God. So don't even try. Don't make a a golden image, even if it's it's an attempt to worship him. And in fact, we get the sense that that was happening. They call this calf, they refer to it as the Lord. As if they're using it as a means to worship the true God. But God says, no, you can't do that. There's nothing like me. And, and so quickly they turn away from God's commands that, you, you know, you just you, you want to shake them. But the truth is, we hear about God's faithfulness. We hear about God's holiness. We, 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 hear, we see God's word in the scriptures uh, as we come to worship the Lord on Sunday morning. And then we walk out those doors. And then what do we do? How do we live? Are we much better than they? The point here is this, is that God will not give his glory to another. He will not save you from your sin. He will not save a people out of Egypt and part the Red Sea so that they can worship a golden calf. He is, a, he is the only God. He is a holy God. He is a saving God. And he will not give the glory that he rightly deserves to someone else. We must serve God with exclusive loyalty. You see, this sin is so disastrous for them for Israel, because God not only made them, but he saved them. So God doubly owned them, and yet they still rejected him. See, God created everything for him, for his purpose. He is God. There is none like him. He, he made everything for his glory. We are made by God for God, and if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, then God doubly owns you. He both made you and he saved you. And so then to give anything else, the, law, the, the love and the loyalty and the attention and the affection that God deserves, but to give it to anything else, what is that? It's idolatry. It's what the Bible calls spiritual adultery. It's giving the love that's rightly due another to something else. And see, what it is, it's, 
It's a, the most fundamental and grave error that anyone can make. It is a denial of reality. It's a denial of reality. What is reality? That there is a God who made, who made and owns all things, who made you for himself. And to, give, and to give anything else, the honor and glory that he is doing, to give it to anything else besides him, is, it's a denial of reality. It is saying that God is not who he says he is. That he did not do what he said he did. It's idolatry. We are to serve God with exclusive loyalty. And there's another important thing that I want us to see here is this. You can't miss this because this is important. How Moses, they sinned against God. And God was going to destroy them. He was ready to destroy them. And what does Moses do? He pleads for them. He pleads for them. He prays for them. Pray. Pray for people who don't know the Lord. Pray for them. Intercede for them. But notice what Moses does. This is what Moses, how Moses prays for the people of Israel. Oh, God, don't kill them. They're not that bad. They're not that bad, Lord. Don't kill them. Is that what he says? No. He doesn't say that. They are that bad. They are that bad. And so are you. And so am I. What appeal does Moses make? Oh, God, for your sake, don't kill them. For your sake, God, spare them because then the Egyptians will say that you brought them out just to kill them. They don't deserve it, but oh God, for the glory of your name, spare them. So that the, Lord, that the world may know that there is a God and he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. For your name, Lord, because you made the promise to Abraham and you made the promise to Isaac and you made the promise to Israel that you would multiply their offspring and give them a land. And in order to be faithful to your own promise, God, deliver them. So, our, so when we appeal to God, so many people, so many people, you ask them, are you going to get into heaven? And they say, yes. And they say, how do you know? They'll say, because I'm a good person. They are certain that when they stand before God on the last day, whose eyes are flames of fire, who sees and knows all, including the motives of their heart, and they are sure that they're going to be good enough. And I'm telling you, it wasn't true of Israel, and it's not true of us. If we appeal to ourselves and say, God, I'm not that bad, let me tell you something. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. The only way you can get into heaven is with perfect righteousness, and you're not perfect righteousness, so you have to get it from somewhere else. From Jesus Christ. If you turn from your sins and believe in him, only then, if you're clothed in his righteousness and, and, have, and do not even dare to claim yourself, is your only hope of being spared. We must serve God with exclusive loyalty. And so we must ask, our, we must ask this question of our lives. Does God take this place in our life? We, we, we're too modern and we're too... Uh, we're too high class to, than to build up a, a golden calf. But that doesn't mean you're not worshiping something. What do you think about the most? What do you spend the most time on? What do you spend the most money on? If, if, if someone watched every second of your life and could hear every thought in your head, what would they know that you worship? Because guess what? God knows. God sees. 
God watches. And, he's, and, he, and he, he demands exclusive loyalty because there is none like him. If you were God, you could demand exclusive loyalty. But guess what? You're not. But when you make all things, and when you owe all things, and when you have made people for yourself, but they turned away from you, but you still come down and give them a means of salvation that they may come back to you and be who they were made to be. You are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of all honor and glory. You are worthy of of all our loyalty. And if we don't give it to him, what shall we do? The, The illustration I've given before is, is this. Many people today, they, they won't say what, they won't, many people today, they won't say, well, I'm an atheist. But what they do is they just don't think about God. They ignore him. In other words, they live exactly how they would as if God didn't exist. Imagine being lived your whole life as if, someone, as if you didn't exist. People you know. <laughs> you see, when the king is present, you bow the knee. To do nothing that is, to do nothing in the presence of king, that is to refuse to bow the knee, to do nothing is rebellion. To do nothing is to say, I don't believe you, and I don't care, and I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. We can't do that. We, can't, we have no place to do that. And God in his mercy has came for every, every time that we have done that in Jesus Christ so that we can come back to him. So we serve God because of who he is and of what he has done. We serve God with exclusive loyalty. And number three, we serve God to find rest in his presence. Turn over to chapter 33. Chapter 33, beginning in verse 1, says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. Jump, jump down now to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face 
for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Then chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now... I have found favor in your sight, O Lord. Please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for your inheritance. So, what's going on here? God relented of destroying the people. But then this is what God said. He said, Okay, you can... I'll still bring you into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. I'll send an angel before you, but I'm not going to go with you. Why? Because if I stay with you, my wrath is going to burn, and I'm going to devour you. But what does Moses do? What does Moses say? God, if you don't go, we're not going. God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. I don't want to go. You see, Moses saw what so often many of us don't. And that is the whole point of being God's people is that you get God. That's the whole point. Moses said, God, basically, God said, you can have a land of flowing, land flowing with milk and honey, but you don't get me. And, God, and Moses said, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. Why? Because he's God. God is the one for whom we were made, right? We were made to know God. We were made for God. Every, everyone knows that the, the most important thing, the things that's most important to us is relationships. Imagine if you had everything that this world has to offer and yet there was not a single person who loved you. Would it matter? Would it matter? We were made for a relationship, but not just any relationship. We, we try to replace our relationship with God with other relationships, but there is one, uh, St. Augustine said, uh, our hearts were made, our hearts are restless, he said, until they find their rest in thee. That is that we were made for the God of the universe, the creator, the one who loves us and knows us and made us for him. That there is, a, there is a being in this world, the creator God, whom you can know, whom you can speak to, who sees and knows everything, whom you can cry out, whom you can pour your heart out to when you're suffering and when you're hurting, who knows you deeply, and that through Jesus Christ, he knows all your faults, and yet he still loves you. How many people can you, can, can you say that about? 
this, this God, this, this friend. The Bible says that Abraham, God called Abraham his friend. The God of the universe. We were made for him. And if we understand that rightly, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want heaven without him. And I think I'm afraid that many people have got this wrong. John Piper put it this way. He said, the critical question for our generation and every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disaster, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? I'm telling you, I think a lot of people who, come, who, who inhabit a lot of churches would say, yes. And I'm telling you, if that's it, then you don't know them. You don't know them. You haven't seen them as you've yet to see. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. It's gonna, it's, I, never, I never knew my grandparents. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love to see my grandparents in heaven. I believe they're with the Lord. But let me tell you something. When I get to heaven, the first person I'm going to run to is Jesus Christ. I'm gonna jump. I'm just gonna cast myself at his feet. I'm probably gonna start kissing his feet. I'm just gonna say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you love me and that you saved me and that you forgave me. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna t- there's no, there is no heaven unless Christ is there, the one who loved us, who gave himself for us. God is the point. The glory of Christianity is not the gifts, but the giver. Jesus, when he was telling people who were burdened down by life, he didn't, he said, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Don't go out there. Come to me. And I will give you rest. The greatest joys in life are not found in stuff or pleasures or activities or things. It's found in a person. A person who knows us and has loved us and has given everything for us. It's a great, human relationships are great gifts and they're great joys. There's nothing like being able to look my incredible wife Meg in the face and say, I am yours and you are mine. But that, that compares nothing to looking at Jesus Christ and him telling me, I am yours and you are mine. There's nothing like knowing God. There's nothing like knowing Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, I pray you come to know him. You see, Moses, Moses, has, Moses has more of God than anybody in Israel, by far. And yet, when he's on the mountain, he still has another request for God. As much as I have, Lord... He says, God, please show me your glory. I want to see it. I want to see you, Lord. I want to have as much of you as I could have, as much as I can bear, as much as I can take, and it won't kill me. That's what I want. I want you, Lord. And what did God do? He gave it to him. You remember what happened to Moses? 
What happened? His face shone with the light of the glory of God. You ever seen somebody's face shine with the light of the glory of God? It's beautiful. You know they've been with God. Right? You want that? Do you want your face to shine so much with the glory of God that people, the Israelites, they couldn't stand it. They couldn't bear to see it. Moses had to cover his face. Because he was with God. And God told Moses, you, he said, he told Moses, he says, I will give you rest. Rest in me. Rest in the promised land. Rest in my presence. We serve God because of who he is and what he has done. We serve God with exclusive loyalty. And we serve God to find rest in his presence. To find rest with him. You see, we have an, we have an advantage over the Israelites. See, some people, some people they, they, don't, they don't get that. Some people would say things like, Oh, well, if I saw that, I wouldn't do what the Israelites did. Really? God woke you up this morning, put food on your table? Did you thank him for it? Really? How many times did you complain this week? Really? You're not going to do the same thing the Israelites did with God's blessing? Some people... So we, we, think, we think, man, if, if I could just see the things the Israelites saw, but the truth is, is we, we actually have it better than the Israelites had. They, they saw God on the mountain with flame of fire, with, uh, with, the, with the burning holiness of God, and with the command that if they even touched the mountain, the whole, God's wrath would flame up and consume them. They didn't know, and they didn't have what we have now. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews wrote this. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even, a beach, uh, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you understand what the author of Hebrews is saying? The Israelites came to a God of pure, whole, of utter holiness, the same God we do, but revealed in the old covenant, the God of, of holiness and wrath and purity. And they didn't have what we have. They didn't have the Holy Spirit like we had that causes us to obey the, the circumcision of the heart, the Bible says, to, to be changed from the inside out. The commands of God were too great for them. They couldn't bear it. God's holiness was too great. They couldn't bear it. But we who know Jesus Christ have come to something better, a new covenant 
the Bible says, in which we relate to God, not by our works, but by faith through the Spirit. That we come to God not as a burning, raging fire, but because Jesus Christ on the cross has drunk the rage and the fire and the wrath for us. So that we come to God not afraid, but full of joy and hope. This is what it says. We come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You remember that story? Cain killed Abel. You remember what God said to Cain? Your brother's blood cries out from the ground to me. Crying out what? Judgment. 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 He killed me. He killed me, God. He deserves judgment. He deserves judgment. The blood of Abel righteously, rightly cries judgment on the offenders. But the blood of Jesus cries mercy. 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 We killed Jesus, but unlike Abel's blood that cries judgment, we killed Jesus, but Jesus' blood cries mercy. Forgiveness. Grace. Forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. Forgive them. We come to a new covenant in the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We have Jesus Christ, and because of him, even though we can't bear the wrath of the holiness of God, we don't have to because he has done it for us. And so I pray this morning, if you don't know him, I want to introduce you to him. You can know him. You can call on him in your seat right now saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me. Change me. Come and rule my life. Reign in me. I'm not in charge anymore. I'm surrendering to you. And he will come and he will change you and he will adopt you into his forever family and you will be forever a child of God all through the blood of Jesus Christ let's pray together Lord thank you for today